Welcome back to the Crown Refs Podcast for episode 252. This episode is the audio accompaniment of a recent article that we just published called A Competitive Journey Amongst Teammates in Stripes. It was written by Ian Sachs, who is a sports journalism master's student at Arizona State University. He graduated from Iona College in 2016 and announced several Iona Gales games on ESPN3 and ESPN+. He's a Mount Vernon, New York native and also announced games for the New York Mets AA affiliate and spent two years as a news producer. He recently wrote an article about the officiating journey and interviewed other officials, including myself, uh, to help contribute. In this episode, we discuss how officials move up to higher levels, the NBA grassroots process, and have it a competitive fire while still exemplifying great partnering. If you are interested in reading this article, you can simply click the link in this episode description. If you are interested in joining our private mentor community on Patreon, Zoom, and Discord, you can click the link in this episode description or go to patreon.com backslash crown refs. We hope to see you there or potentially set up a call with you today. Do me one last favor before you go. Have a great rest of your day. I've listened to a, a couple episodes of the podcast, and I, I was really struck by how in-depth you get into the critiques of the different officials that you're talking through. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast, the audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. So one thing I'm really pushing with Crown Refs is like we are the great partnering network. I'm teaching everything best practices about being a great partner inside and outside of the locker room. Making sure you're the first guy to pick up that phone and call the ref who made it over you. First, tell me about Crown Refs and how it helps with the refereeing circles. We are a training platform for officials, a mentorship program that connects officials basically around the country. We have 122 officials from around the country and a couple FIBA officials as well that meet every week for Zooms, uh, for Discord calls, and we text every day through the Discord platform. So yeah, it's basically a community of officials. It started back when, you know, I, I started doing a podcast and creating content. That's how I was able to build a community. And then I kind of went private with it in September. And right now it's an interesting mix of putting out content publicly on all the major platforms while I'm, I'm still managing and connecting and collaborating with a large group of officials every day, you know, so it's, it's fun though. And that's kind of where it's evolved to. So you mentioned how you went private in September. When did you come up with the idea for it? And, and when did it really first start to take off the ground? I have a film review service where I work with an official one-to-one. They send me their game film, and that was really my first time, you know, where I was, I was, you know, I was in the market. I had uh, uh, developed a, 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 what I think is a great product, a great service for officials to be able to accelerate their growth very quickly by by me just watching their game, breaking it down, and creating a very detailed uh, evaluation report. 
um, with that, I was able to build a community of, cause I've done like 56 or seven of them so far in like two or three years, but I was able to build a core group, right? So right around number 43, whatever I was like a year and a half into it. Um, I heard of the idea about Patreon, which is an app I had never heard before. I started to hear about Patreon and discord, um, new apps, you know, I'm always trying to, mm-hmm. To, to um go wide and, and, and be on that next app so patreon was an app for podcasters for creators to get paid off their audience but i i was thinking of it as a way to build a you know subscription um based service and community but also like build the netflix for officiating and put all like shows series um and exclusive content on patreon while building a private community in discord so it's like kind of innovating with with two new apps for for the community to you know have they have a library of content on patreon and um and then you know we're talking every day and uh, interacting about rules interpretations plays you know topics questions um so yeah so i I heard about patreon and you know I, i felt like i had a strong enough um community like even if it was going to be 30 people i'm like i I know i could branch out now i don't care if if i don't have a thousand people like we're just going to do this one at a time slowly and just like i built crown refs slowly and organically that's what we're going to do here um so that's kind of where we're at how do you decide between uh this is going to be something that's public and this will be something that uh we just keep to ourselves in our discord channel yeah, I mean, good question. I think there's there's content that should be public that we're going to put out for everybody, and then there's maybe sometimes where we're just speaking as it's just three or four of us, and maybe we're we're speaking about content that we wouldn't want more like locker room talk. Mm-hmm. Where I don't I don't necessarily want that to get out there because having the private platform allows us to go really really deep, and yeah, some conversations we're just not going to put out there, and also that that keeps the exclusivity and the value in the having that private platform and you know being an official we gotta always it's not like i have a ton of stuff that i don't want people to hear mm-hmm. actually i'm getting i'm getting ready to put out a podcast today and i was asking my wife i'm like should i put this out on spotify because i i put out about the last six uh, in a row on spotify but i like to i don't put all of them on and i don't put all full length ones on so i think this one i'm just i'm just gonna put on patreon I'm just seeing Patreon growing more and more. Have you heard about much about it? No. The, to be honest, this was the first time I've ever heard of Patreon. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be early on something too. And now, you, now I start seeing other creators, like popular creators I know that are on Patreon. So I think um, whether people see it now, and it's you know mm-hmm. it's, it's picking up slowly and organically, but it'll eventually I think scale up or you know it's more common to have private content how did you get to where you are now where did the idea come from of um this is a an industry that um you know not not very many people are are talking about but a lot of referees have a lot to say and to discuss Mm. yeah probably when i started to really fall in love with it and, and developed the confidence to lead and share and create discussions and understand how to create content for mm-hmm. it and also and also the need because there wasn't a lot there's there's really nothing on social media 
you know there's there's definitely great magazines you can read there's great books you can read but um not modern communication i definitely realized it was a white space because of a lot of um feedback i got i've always gotten a ton of ton of great feedback from uh the community you know that's how you, you build it just people reaching out to you i got so many so many people reaching out and and i i collect a lot of data right like i even last night i was thinking uh, a ref just texted me he asked me if i wanted to work 40 games in a weekend and i never thought about being able to work that many games uh, and it was 15 on a saturday and 15 on a sunday and I, I never i didn't i thought like 13 or 14 was the max so now i'm just thinking about all these uh refs that are going to be there from 8 a.m to 10 p.m at night you know working all day and it's a good it's good money for the for the weekend but it's a lot of work and it's not a lot of um it's not a great hourly rate and then you think about all the people that complain about the officials at those events and they just have no idea how the industry works and the infrastructure of staffing these huge events these huge tournaments you have to have people that work 15 hours a day so it's like they're getting disrespected and, and physically and verbally abused and like people have no idea, you know, how hard it is to, to be there all day. Like, mm -hmm. it's a, I'm like, I'm, I told them I'm not doing it. I'm not working 40 games. No way. <laughs> um, how does it, does it work when referees are trying to work their way up and it could be pretty cutthroat of, you know, they're competing for one or two or three opportunities to advance to the next level, but then it's also a sense of camaraderie. How does that dynamic work where referees are trying to get ahead, but also everyone's kind of in the same shoes? Great question. Great question, because the people that you do go to camp with and try out with, you know, they're, they're your friends, they're your peers, and conversely, they're the people you're indirectly competing with, mm -hmm. right? Um, but no, it, it can't, it absolutely cannot get in the way, although I'm sure it does. And listen, there's a lot of ego in every industry. It's not just, the, you know, officials. Um, so one thing I'm really pushing with Crown Refs is like, we are the great partnering network. Like, I'm teaching everything, best practices about being a great partner inside and outside of the locker room and be, making sure you're the first guy to um, pick up that phone and call the ref who made it over you or text the ref who made it over you who got picked up in that league. You know, like, oh, you know, he made Division One, or he, he got called up to the G League. Like, be the first to text them even though it wasn't you. That mm -hmm. shows like a lot of strength and great partnering. So we need that at scale. And uh, and um, listen, there's a lot, a lot of great people you meet in, in officiating. So, um, but yeah, very interesting dynamic. There's really no competition. It would never, it would never get in the way because that's going to really make that person look bad. Hmm, that's a very good point. Right? Yeah, yeah. You don't they, uh, be a guy no one wants to work with. Yeah, oftentimes you having a bad attitude reflects back to you, even though that's not the intention of it. So how do referees work their way up from um, the AAU circuit to ultimately the NBA? Well, like anything, you gotta, you gotta just work. You gotta work every game everywhere and really get your repetitions in. Um, 
get those hours in the gym. That's that's number one. And then officials move up by attending camps and tryouts in the spring and the summer. Right. So once the season is over, usually right when the NCAA tournament is over, a um, bunch of camps. There's camps across the country, like every state, every every you know every state. Mm-hmm. A lot of cities have have their own camps for officials at all levels. So there's a lot of high school camps where you know there's it's instructional. So you're just going to learn you know the basic fundamentals. Teaching camps, right? Um, and then there's there's NCAA camps. There's tryout camps for each court for each league coordinator. They have their own tryout camp. So, like, pick a conference. The Pac-10, right? Yeah, you're you're out west. So the Pac-10 has their own tryout, and it's a conglomerate of uh, conferences, um, or it's an alliance conferences that are grouped together, and you're trying out basically within that whole system at an event you know, on the west coast in the summer. I don't know when it is, but so, you know, you got to you got to pay your dues. You're not going to you can't go from high school right to D1. You have to work your way up. So the first camp you would go to um, as a high school official. And my goal was to become a college official before I did a varsity game. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole that's a whole other topic because I did do that. You know, just think about that. I I worked college before I worked high school. Wow. It's pretty interesting. Interesting. You know that you can do that in this industry, but it's mm-hmm. it's good, it's good. It's good because it allows you to move up. But yeah, you got to go to. So you would start at junior college, go to a junior college camp, and then a division three camp. Then you go to a division two camp, and eventually, if you're if you're a division three or a D two ref, you go to a D one tryout camp, and then you know you work your way up, and you hopefully you get hired. It takes it takes time, but everybody's um pathway is different and everybody's timetable is different so it's not even like i can say all right yeah two to three years you'll make it here it's like nah everybody's story is different there's refs that move way skyrocket up in like two three years there's refs that never make it there's refs that it takes 13 years to make d1 so a lot of different a lot of different stories out there mm-hmm. um what resources other than those camps are out there and uh, other than crown refs as well to help and assist referees in that process of moving up the ranks. You want to get involved with a, a local group of refs. You know, if you're trying to move up, you should find the refs that you work with that like want to move up to and, and kind of make them your, your crew, like your start a group chat and, share plays with and stay connected that way because then you guys discuss which camps to go to um you know you make plans that way always sharing plays um i've listened to a a couple episodes of the podcast and i i was really struck by how in-depth you get into the critiques of uh the different officials that you're talking through how when you're watching another official officiate, what is that process like when you're watching the game solely for the referee? Thanks for listening and uh, making that observation. I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like watching a, a ref's game for me is like going into the lab, you know, uh, and, uh, and I tell them it's going to be like a surgery because I'm just looking to 
um, tear them up, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the most positive, constructive way. And and watch their game and any little any little idea or thought I have about how they can do something better, whether it be their um, positioning, their play calling, their communication, their game management, their mechanics, their the way they their posture, like their um, athleticism. I'm looking at every little detail, and then I'll, I'll mark their game notes. Um, so basically how, how I work my report is I highlight their strengths and um, their areas of growth and improvement. And then I, I watch their game and do a real in-depth uh, report where I timestamp plays. So like, for instance, 20 minutes you know, that, to start the game, the toss could have been off or their positioning in the to- – they didn't chop the clock immediately when, the, uh, when, it, when it was legally touched. Right. So I'm commenting on that. Why are we not chopping it to start the clock at the same exact time? Why are we not synced up? Mm-hmm. So like I, I'm, I'm getting thoughts like the entire game with everything they do. And, and then I create, you know, content for them that's personalized for them and uh, really give them a lot of in-depth stuff to read and break down and kind of download and then upload it to their brain. And a lot of them see like very quick growth right away because it's tangible stuff that makes a lot of sense to them because it's about them mm-hmm. and i feel like uh i'm only watching that ref i'm not really paying attention to the other two officials that they're working with so it's a real detailed breakdown and uh i'm trying to give them the best information they've ever had so that's kind of like my mindset behind the report and that's probably why you hear the detail in it. I like it. Yeah, I I learned so much about officiating just from the, those handful of episodes that I listened to. You also talked a lot about the minute differences between the college, say, high school game and the college game, or the pro game and the the college game from a refereeing standpoint of um, where you stand or your hand motions or, or something. How different are the games from a refereeing standpoint when uh, uh, an outside or a casual fan might think basketball is basketball? Yeah, I mean, NBA to, to college is very, very different in a lot of ways and very, very similar in a lot of ways. What happens is uh, we all get tricked into watching the NBA. Kids all get, you know, we all watch it and, and, and think a rule that, happens in the nba is going to apply to them at their aau tournament over the weekend but mm-hmm. um rule books are, are very different and, and and you have it's like a, another language so if, if you're you inspire to like do the nba one day you gotta you gotta work your way up and learn the high school rule book first and then you gotta learn the college rule book ncaa men's or ncaa women's uh, then you got to learn the NBA rulebook, the pro rulebook. So it's it's very hard juggling all three of those. It's a it's a it's an art, you know, and um, a very hard skill to acquire. But it just comes with time and repetition and and an interest to to want to be great at something. How difficult is it to become a rules expert? Of there might be something that happens in a game that has never happened before very rarely happens and the referees have to be on the ball right away and know exactly what the rule is and what the ramification is oh yeah absolutely you know having uh having to download the book 
in real time and apply it to a rule that you're discussing you know with your crew or that having to know the rule kind of simultaneously while you're signaling it's like golf fishing is like golf you know because it's so hard you're gonna make you're gonna make so many mistakes too we're in the mistake business no one has ever had a perfect game no one ever will it's just there's no way you can do everything right out there so that's why we're always really breaking breaking things down those who love it really studying your mistakes um figuring out what you can improve and double down on you often hear players say that say when they move up to the next level at at some point after that move the game starts to slow down for them and um that's when they really start to excel at what point does that happen for a referee who moves up from say high school to college and now it's a 40 minute game instead of 32 the players are more athletic they move a lot quicker yeah it's a very interesting dynamic because as the skill level and as you um you know go up in level the 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 speed increases and you, your patience has to increase so you have to slow down you know your mental and emotional capacity has to really slow down and that's one thing we really preach is having patience and watching plays start develop finish and then decide and that's something i'm always trying to you know I, i'm i go the other way with it people tell me i'm too slow out there sometimes they say i look like i don't want to be there almost because i'm trying to be so poised um knowing i have to it it keeps me focused and and you can't let any emotion get in get in the way gotta definitely use a lot of positive self-talk to to stay focused um because we're making decisions sometimes every second but every minute multiple decisions every minute and uh probably hundreds hundreds a game yeah that's that's a, a really good point um specifically about the getting, say, into the NBA candidate pool and then uh, ultimately getting hired. Uh, I looked on their website about how uh, the referees enter a, a candidate pool and then head to the three camps and then ultimately uh, ideally getting hired into first the G League and then um, the NBA and, or, or the WNBA. Uh, how does a referee get on the radar of the recruiters for the NBA to get into that candidate pool and ultimately into the camps and the G League? Yeah, so quite simply, they have to create a, an, an account. There's a way to just log on to the NBA and, and create your user profile, so that's definitely step number one. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets you in the network, and they put out some information through that website, and they might receive email notifications of of like tryouts that they're having but you got to go to camp you got to find out you got to kind of reverse engineer right what you want so you got to find out who who's hiring who sends you to these grassroots camps and they have regional scouts so al batista is a regional scout diana DePaul is a regional scout um samson brew is another guy so you got to find out where they are where they're going so um getting in contact with them knowing which camps they're going to so that they can see you ref and then they'll recommend you for grassroots you know if they see you enough uh, they also have a pipeline like if if they're interested 
in you for grassroots they have something called the pipeline which which uh you know your friend is in our friend is in mm-hmm. and uh where they have zoom calls uh and instructional sessions and uh a network of potential prospects um for the g league uh, and they have guest speakers come on and everything so you gotta you gotta get recommended to go to grassroots and then grassroots is is step one uh, mid-level is step two and elite is step three you gotta make it through all each round um i believe they're in the spring they're like two three weeks apart yeah is it possible for a referee to go through all three in one year or is it where say this year they're in grassroots and then if they move up then next year is mid-level and it's a multi-year process or is it a could be a a one and one and all the way up back to my last answer everybody's pathway is different because um there have been i'm sure people that there's definitely yeah 100 percent people that have, have gone through each step in in a single year uh there's people that you know you you go you make grassroots uh then you go to mid-level and then let's say you don't make it past mid-level i I believe you're you're able to go back to mid-level that next year um might be two it might be two years i'm I'm not sure about the the Mm -hmm. nuances of it all um i'm not i'm also not sure how many years they give you a grassroots everybody's different if they think you have potential they might invite you back it's like an invitation uh if you get the call if you get the email but it's a it's a very very competitive process Mm-hmm. Um, you, you touched on it uh, a little while ago and kind of want to circle back to that, the way that you were a referee and now you you moved into the content creation side uh, around the, the referee business. Uh, wh- when did you make that decision to kind of pivot your focus? How does that work where you're you know, building this network but also – refereeing games as well that's the pulse of it all you know i couldn't i couldn't really i mean i i don't know what it's like to create referee content and not be an official mm-hmm. hopefully i can you know hopefully i can still do it you know past the time i don't ref anymore but that's kind of what fuels everything is being on the court and being in it you know and really 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 studying it and working a lot of games and being a student of the craft, that's what's helped me. That's been the platform for all my content. That's what's given me ideas to create videos. This was giving me ideas to make specific episodes and feature, you know, different guests, you know. So, and, and I want to I wanna do something special. I want to do it all. I want to build this great thing while I'm a Division One ref, like while I'm still... In my prime, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. How many times do you uh, say encounter something in one of your games, and you kind of note that to yourself? Of oh, that'd be great to talk about on the podcast, or oh, I I should do something about this and put the, put out this type of video because this happened to me. I don't have a, a certain number, but just know like a lot of the uh, inspiration I have is from specific plays and situations mm-hmm. that occurred in my own games. And that's what helps me talk about something that I that I know and I've done. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I can't I can't just fabricate stories and, and be in, 
and games or situations that I've been in, I've, I've had to fail in all these situations. I've had to make wrong decisions or make, make right decisions, but you learn from them. But yeah, uh, some games more than others, some games, no ideas. Of course, it's not like every single time I go out there, I have, I have an idea for a podcast, but the, the key for me is to continue, uh, working hard as an official and, and, continue on my journey you know that i started to try to be a d1 ref you know along along the way i developed this out of nowhere so i just i'm, I'm staying on this one road and, and building another one as well mm-hmm. uh so you're i know you're roughing in college are you what level are you roughing I, I should probably know that but i don't No, it's all good i've been I've been working uh, Division Two level for five years. Okay. And Division Three, probably seven years. Got uh, it. And for you, total of ten. For you, the the end goal is to be Division One, or do you want to ultimately get up to that that NBA level? No, no, definitely not NBA. My goal has always been to just work uh, Division One. Okay. And it, it's not like it's not like I even want to. It's funny, you know, I'm building this platform about loving it and, and being passionate and, and wanting to move all the way up, but I don't want to move all the way up, so it's pretty, it's pretty funny dynamic. I want to move very far up, but um, I, you know, I wouldn't want to travel. I wouldn't want to travel around the country, and that's what's, I don't want to work Duke, Carolina. I wouldn't want to, I would love to work an NBA game, absolutely. I would love to work Duke, Carolina, of course, but... Uh, you know, I, I'm a phys ed teacher, so I'm pretty stable there. And uh, I love being like local. Like I would love to work uh, local, local division one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> maybe, maybe hop on one plane a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what are some of the toughest parts about being a referee? The communication part of it is very, very tough. And your the mindset part is tough. Having a walking away from it with a really positive attitude. Um, not enough people do it, you know, because mm-hmm. it can eat at you. Maybe not, maybe not like at the high levels. Like I'm talking about the average ref who just works high school, you know, works a couple games a week. Like, you know, dealing with the culture of basketball is very difficult, I think, and and very tough maybe to be sustainable for most. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see the opportunity in it. And I see the, the great in it, but you know you got to see see all of it. There's um, so that's that's a hard part is dealing with coaches, it's being able to communicate with coaches because they can be um, disrespectful, they can shout, scream. So you you have to develop a communication style where you know how to de-escalate, you know how to speak to people under pressure, like in hostile, tense situations, at least in an in a basketball environment. But basketball is booming, booming sport, more popular every every second. So um, it creates a fire and a passion in people who play it and watch it and coach it. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.